Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. Listen now to the word of the Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then, then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat in my barn. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Welcome. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we ask you to fill us with a knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Amen. So last week we heard about the so-called golden rule from the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. We're now jumping ahead six chapters to the 13th chapter. And as you heard, the 13th chapter is all about parables. Uh, there are actually seven parables uh, in this chapter, and we just heard three of them. 
Earlier in the chapter, in verse 3, Matthew tells us that Jesus told them, that is the crowds, many things in parables. And when his disciples asked, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And then in verse 34, as you heard, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so in a way, we're getting kind of the inside uh, information. We're being, things are being revealed to us that were hidden from the crowds. The parables act as analogies or as allegories to reveal something about the kingdom of heaven. And it, that revelation comes to some, but its meaning to others remain hidden. Now in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven is central to Jesus's identity, uh, his mission, his teaching. Remember that the Gospel of Matthew began with the genealogy, tracing Jesus' ancestry through kings. He's called the son of King David. He's named the king of the Jews. And when John the baptizer came announcing his message, his message was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. And so kingdom language appears throughout the Gospel and Matthew will also refer to the kingdom of heaven as the kingdom of God, sometimes the kingdom of the Father, and sometimes just as the kingdom. And so these are all ways of talking about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. I think in the simplest terms, we can say that the kingdom of heaven is where God reigns. The kingdom of heaven is where God reigns, where the sovereign power of God rules over all. And so we should not equate the kingdom of God with any earthly kingdom. We should not equate the kingdom of God with ancient Israel. We should not equate the kingdom of God with the church. Nor should the kingdom of God be understood or reduced to some sort of um, charitable social programs or just political laws. The kingdom of God should also not be limited to, you know, God is... Uh, reigning in my, my heart. So it's, it's more than this sort of subjective feeling that God is the ruler. These may have a part in the kingdom of God, but they are not the kingdom of God. And I think it's significant that Jesus uses parables and he never directly defines the kingdom of heaven. He never says the kingdom of heaven is this thing. While Jesus' audience all understood what an earthly kingdom was, Jesus' use of parables suggests that the kingdom of God lies beyond concrete description and perhaps requires a kind of sanctified imagination. I think it's especially hard for us because unlike ancient peoples, we don't ordinarily think in terms of kingdoms or, or use kingdom language. But Jesus here, I think, invites us to imagine what the world might look like if God's kingdom is here, if God's will is done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Leaven, as I understand it, is basically yeast, a fungus that eats carbohydrates, and a byproduct of that is uh, carbon dioxide, which makes the bread rise. Jesus does not explain or interpret what he means by this comparison, but I think we can reasonably conclude that Jesus is telling us that something little, something as small as leaven, can have a pervasive, thoroughly transformative impact on something much larger. Perhaps he's suggesting that his disciples are like the leaven and that a few disciples can impact an entire community or even the world. But I think there's something even more fundamental that maybe Jesus is pointing at. And here I think all, nearly all English translations fail us. When you hear this parable about a woman who took and hid three measures of flour how much flour do you picture in your mind? You know, for a long time, I wrongly assumed that three measures of flour that Jesus speaks about here were like three cups of flour. Right? I'm a little embarrassed to say, but I've never baked bread. I've never made bread, so I don't really know how this whole thing works. But in my imagination... I imagine a, a, a mom in her kitchen, and she's got like, you know, three cups of flour that she makes into maybe a couple of loaves of bread. That's what I thought Jesus was talking about. Is that how you imagined it? Well, the word here, measures, is sata. And sata is equivalent to roughly three gallons. So the woman here is working with roughly nine gallons of flour, which is roughly 45 pounds of flour. And that's just the dry flour, remember. To make dough, again, I'm just guessing here, you have to add water. And I'm told by a baker that you need roughly 60% of the flour weight in water to make the dough. And so that's another 27 pounds of water. Again, these are just all very rough estimates, but you get the point. The flour and the dough that the woman is working with here is enormous. Like 70 pounds or more. So when we hear it this way, we get a very different sense of what I think Jesus is talking about. It's not just simply the transformative quality of what is happening with the leaven, but the sheer quantity of what is being impacted. I think what Jesus is picturing for us here is that the kingdom of heaven is like an extravagant feast. It's not like a mother making a couple of you know, dinner rolls for her family. The kingdom of God is more like a crazy town baker. It's one incredibly strong, ambitious woman making enough bread, 70 pounds worth of dough for her entire village. The kingdom of God is about abundance 
for the entire community. That's the good news. There is enough for everyone. Jesus also says that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sold in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This parable is also left unexplained. We know that the mustard plant was pretty common in Galilee and it was regarded both as a useful plant, but also as a kind of invasive weed that you, know, you didn't want around. The point that Jesus seems to be making here, again, is that the kingdom of God may begin small, but that it will grow and grow until it is large enough to provide a home for the birds of the air. Like the parable of the leaven, there is this element of incredulity built into this parable. The man sowed a single grain of mustard seed. No one would do this. No one goes around planting one mustard seed. It'd be like cooking one grain of rice. You don't do that. You, you would not plant this particular plant like just one little seed. And so Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a ridiculous story of a crazy person planting one single mustard seed. And yet that tiny seed grows and becomes this enormous shrub. He calls it a tree, but it's just this giant shrub. And, and I think that's the thing about the mustard plant. It's large, but it's inglorious. It's nothing compared to real trees. Next to the majesty of a cedar or an oak, it's nothing. It's practically a joke to call it a tree. No one ever looks at a mustard tree and goes, wow. You ignore it, you pass by it. And yet, in that humility, there is something about the kingdom of heaven. It's not about power and majesty in any traditional sense. And I think this is a good word for us because it is very easy for us to think and to be tempted that what we need to do as a church to build the kingdom of God is to mobilize, is to be big enough, to be rich enough, to be powerful enough so that we can have leverage and leverage that power and money and size and influence and change communities and countries for God. We often hear that we start out small like an acorn, but we can become a mighty oak. If we can build enough megachurches, then we can really shape the course of American public life. But there is a humility to the mustard plant that we cannot dismiss. We have to remember that the seed achieves its growth by dying. Jesus says in John 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The apostle Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. When you, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. The kingdom of God is planted in the field of the world and it has to die in order to bear fruit. The same point is made with the leaven, right? It is not the leaven that triumphs. You never get to see the lemon, leaven or taste it. What you get is the bread. 
There is no kingdom of leaven. The demonstration of the kingdom is not the size of the yeast, but in the rise of the bread. Likewise, the demonstration of the kingdom is not in the size or the beauty of the mustard seed or plant, but in the shelter that it provides for the birds of the air. And then in the longest of the three parables, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like wheat and weed being allowed to grow together. Unlike most parables, Jesus does interpret this parable because the disciples didn't understand this one. And so they ask him to explain it to them. And so Jesus says, this is what it means. And he gives a pretty straightforward allegory, right? This is this and this is this, this one-to-one -one correspondence between the parable and the explanation. The sower is the son of man or Jesus himself. He sows the good seeds like his father. The field is the world. The good seeds are the children of the kingdom. The bad seeds or the weeds are the children of the evil one. And the one who sowed the bad seeds is the devil and so on. So you get a very straightforward interpretation of the parable. We might wish that Jesus had said a little bit more about the reality of evil in the world in this parable. But Jesus does not elaborate and simply states that the enemy has done this. And this enemy is hardworking and devious. He comes at night and rather than just destroying the field, he laboriously plants competing seeds. And the surprise of the parable is that even though there are many servants who are willing and wanting to pull out those weeds, the master commands his servants not to do it. He assures them that the time will come when he will call upon his reapers to harvest, to gather, and to separate the weeds from the wheat. You know, I think when, when people hear this parable, most Christians, the natural tendency is to imagine themselves like these servants, right? You hear the word servant and you want, that's what I want to be. That's who I am. And those of you who garden and those of you who like to have your environment pristine, you want servants to pull out the weeds, right? You'd be the first to volunteer to pull out the weeds. To your credit, you want to fix things, to make things better, to be more efficient. You want a hand in building God's kingdom. You're ready to go work and to work hard to do what is necessary to purify the kingdom of God. Like the servants in the parable, you recognize evil in the world. You've made up your mind about what is good and what is evil. And maybe you've also wondered why God allows the evil to flourish. But notice in this explanation, Jesus does not say that you and I or his disciples are the servants. We are not the servants in this parable. Jesus only says that the sons of the kingdom that is you and me, we are not the servants, but the good seeds that the Son of Man, Jesus, plants. In this parable, we are to imagine ourselves as good seed, not servants. And even if you wrongly interpret and imagine yourself as a servant, Jesus says, 
don't pull out the weeds. You don't get to make that judgment. You don't get to do that work. In fact, in this parable, the servants of Jesus never get to pull out the weeds. It's the reapers, the angels whom Jesus will send at the end times who will separate and gather the wheat and the weeds. Not his servants and certainly not us. And the reason that the servants are forbidden from pulling out the weeds is for our benefit. It's for our benefit. Jesus says that the root systems of the weeds and the wheat are so entangled that the servants, when they pull out the weeds, will inevitably destroy some of the good wheat. In this parable, Jesus tells us that God's forbearance toward evildoers is analogous. Premature judgment of evil will be harmful to the good seeds, to the children of God's kingdom. The parable becomes clearer. If we know that the weed that Jesus is talking about here is the darnel, sometimes translated as thistles or as tares. Its scientific name is lolium tremulentum, which comes from a Latin word meaning to be drunk. Apparently, the seeds of the darnel are poisonous and when ingested can cause dizziness and vomiting. According to Howard Thomas, a professor of biology, while it is uncertain how much and how deliberately the darnel was cultivated, it often found its way into food, sometimes accidentally and sometimes intentionally. And there are scattered examples throughout history of its intentional use. In classical Greece, for example, he writes that it was known as the plant of frenzy and was used in the religious rites followed by those who worshiped uh, Persephone. Later in Europe, it was sometimes used as an anesthetic and it was also baked into what they called dazed bread and brewed into beer to give it an extra kick. Now, the reason that the Darnell ended up with wheat is that it looks very similar to wheat, so much so that it is called mimic wheat. And that's why part of the reason the master says, leave it alone, because as they're growing, it's very difficult to tell them apart. They look very, very similar when they're growing up. Only as they reach maturity, as they bear fruit, is it obvious which is the darnel and which is the wheat. In other words, perhaps the warning here is that we should not be hasty. We should not be overconfident in our ability to distinguish between the good and the bad. Consider how many people in your life you thought were wheat who later in life turned out to be weed and vice versa. In fact, it seems to me that the history of the church is about one group of Christians who thought that they could tell the difference between the weed and the wheat and decided to do God a favor and pull out the weed and kick them out. God has always had overzealous servants willing to pull out weeds and purify God's church. Every time a church splits, it's because one group of servants perceived another group to be weeds. And they may well have been weeds. 
I'm not denying that. But there's a warning against pulling them out. Look at what God does. Let them grow together. Just let them grow together. Why? To protect every single wheat plant. Jesus is more concerned about the possible damage to the wheat, to the children of the kingdom, than he is about the potential success of the weeds, the children of the evil one. There is this unmistakable quality of the master's care and concern for the wheat. From the perspective of God's kingdom, the possibility of nurturing life is valued far more than the destruction of evil. If nothing else, we discover that in the kingdom of God, God is for life, for every life. Barbara Brown Taylor writes that God is willing to risk fat weeds for fat wheat. That's what God does. That's how and why God sows. The sun shines on the good and the bad. It rains on the wicked and the righteous. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, as I've been thinking about these parables, what I was really struck by this week was that Jesus is practically telling us to do nothing. It's like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is where God does all the work. Notice that Jesus is not telling us to plant the mustard seed, nor that we have to knead the dough to make a lot of bread, nor to pull out the weeds. I know we, we often interpret them that way, right? Rather, what Jesus teaches us here is that the kingdom of God is not about what we can do for God, even with all the right intentions. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is where God rules. And it is God who will plant the seed so that there will be enough room for the birds of the air. We're to imagine ourselves as the birds, not the seed, not the farmer. It is God who needs the dough to make enough bread for the entire community. It is God who is not threatened by the weeds. And he will see to it so that the wheat that is you and I can thrive even in their midst. These parables remind us that this is God's kingdom. It is the kingdom of heaven. And it is God who will bring about his kingdom. Now, I know that most people, when they go to church, perhaps some of you today, you want to hear a sermon that tells you what to do, right? People want the wisdom of the scriptures boiled down to three easy steps to improve their lives. The three secrets of raising wonderful children according to the gospel. The seven keys to success according to Jesus. The five principles of a hot marriage according to Paul. Those are popular messages. You'd probably want to hear some of those. But as you know, I don't really preach those kinds of sermons. Now I want to be clear that I'm not suggesting that we do nothing and that we allow evil to run rampant. Clearly, the scriptures call us to stand against evil. Jesus calls us to work, to do works of compassion and justice and to let our light shine and so on. Certainly, we are called to do good works and there is plenty to do. And I will preach those sermons in the coming weeks, but not today. 
today, I just want to call your attention to gaze your minds, to turn your imagination toward the kingdom of heaven. These parables compel me to recognize that the nature of God's kingdom is that it is all about God. It is God who plants, God who sows, God who needs, and God who makes his kingdom possible. These parables remind me of the good news, that it is God's responsibility for his kingdom, that it is God's responsibility for me and my thriving. This is our great hope. I think this is our great hope. When you see weeds, and I know there's a lot of it around us, remember that maybe it's wheat and you just made a mistake. Remember that the weeds, evil, is temporary. Good is eternal. Remember that in the end, the false kingdom will be uprooted and destroyed and burned. Judgment is coming. Remember that it will be God who will have the last word. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts that we might imagine with you your kingdom. Help us, God, to see the kingdom of heaven realized and what that might mean for us. Help us, help us to participate, but knowing always that it is your kingdom and that you will fulfill your kingdom. Thank you, God, that you provide shelter for us. Thank you, God, that you provide food for us. Thank you, God that you nurture our growth, even in the midst of evil. Help us to know you, to receive your word, and bear much fruit. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.